Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor Study. Today we talk about the kerygma. The word kerygma is a Greek word. The New Testament was written in Greek, and it means the preaching. The kerygma refers to that nutshell message that the apostles took from town to town, which converted people. So let's find out what that message was. I still remember, I'm 16 years old. I go to a party. A girl comes up that I'd never met. Tom, I heard you're a Christian. I said, yes. Well, I've been reading a book about the end of the world, and I want to become a Christian. How do I become a Christian? And I remember my exact words. It was terrible. I still feel some guilt. Today, I know what I'd tell her, because I know the kerygma. So let's, we're going to look at the Apostle Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down. He preaches it to the crowd, 3,000 get converted. And what St. Peter said to the Jews at Pentecost is what I should have said to that 16-year-old and what you say to your friend at work if you want them to be saved. So would you take out your Bible? Turn to Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and let's pray first. Lord God, we would pray for anyone watching this program who doesn't know what the basic central message of the Christian faith is, that you'll open their ears. And Lord, for those of us that are Christians, open our mouths to go out into this world and tell people the only message that will bring them to eternal life. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We turn to the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Jesus has ascended into heaven. Now the Holy Spirit comes down on the apostles. They go into the street. They start preaching at Pentecost. And here is St. Peter's first message after Pentecost, uh, during Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 22. Peter says to the Jews, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man was delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. I want you to notice something important in verse 23. It says, Jesus died according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That's the first lesson today. Jesus died according to plan. It's not like when God the Father looked down on, on uh, Good Friday and them seeing him, them nail the Christ, Christ to the cross. It's not like God the Father went, oops, that wasn't in the plan. It was in the plan. According to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 20, that was planned before the foundation of the world. <laughs> yeah, I've shared this before, but you know, Presbyterians, their stress is predestination, that everything's been predestined. I believe that. But I went to a Presbyterian church years ago on Lent, and the preacher gets up and says, Jesus was never intended to suffer and die. 
That was not the will of our loving Heavenly Father when he sent his only son into the world. I'm going, what? <laughs> well, after church, he's shaking hands, and I was polite, and I waited till everybody left, but I said, Pastor, Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan of, of, of our God. So, you know, our, uh, Jesus died the, the central fact of, of the kerygma is he died according to the plan. It's our glory that he was sent to die. Verse 24, And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him, Jesus, to be held in its power. I want you to notice the contrast. Verse 23, you killed him, but verse 24, God raised him. That's the kerygma. Now follow this. If you want your family and friends to be saved, you tell them two things. Here's the kerygma. Number one, Christ died for your sins. And number two, God raised them from the dead. If you want someone to be saved, you don't get into Adam and Eve and evolution. You don't preach Noah and the ark. You don't preach Jonah and the big fish. You go right to the, the kerygma, the nutshell gospel that saves people. Christ died for your sins and he rose from the dead. I remember years ago watching Billy Graham in, I think, an interview. And he said, when I was a young preacher, I preached at a crusade, gave the altar call for people to come up and receive Christ. And he said, very few came up. And he said, I'm wondering what happened tonight. And another preacher took me aside and said, tonight, Billy, you didn't preach the cross. And Billy Graham purpose henceforth every sermon somehow I'm going to get the cross in that sermon <laughs> you know talking about Presbyterians there's a very liberal Presbyterian church here in the Twin Cities and now they're broadcasting their services on Sunday afternoon I've been watching their services I've yet to hear the cross mentioned it's all nice nice fluff no, no. If you want people to be saved, the first thing you've got to tell them is Jesus died on the cross. What I should have said to that 16-year-old girl, how do you become a Christian? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Believe in him and you'll be a Christian. That's what I should have told her. Skip down to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I like the words in verse 36, know assuredly or know for certain. Here's the next lesson. Christianity is something you can know for sure. Christianity is not something that, well, I hope it's true. It's a nice story. I'm not sure it's true, but it's a nice story. I, hope, I believe it, but I, I, no, no. Know assuredly. You can know assuredly. I mean, um, if you've never read the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, that book really helped me see there's good evidence for the Christian faith. I mean, I, I will tell you, when I was about 16, I think I was a Christian, but had huge doubts whether God was really up there. Today... <laughs> I know God is up there. In fact, given my evil flesh, there are days I wish God wasn't up there so I could get away with things. But Christianity is something you can know for sure. And then this verse, verse 36, ends with Peter saying, 
this Jesus whom you crucified. Now he's convicting them. He's putting his finger in their face. You crucified him. You're guilty. Now, you might say, but wait a minute. We just learned that Jesus' death was God's plan. So how are they guilty for killing Christ when that was God's plan for them to kill Christ? I think that's a good question. I think there's an answer. When the Jews killed Christ, when the Gentiles, Pilate, killed Christ, they weren't thinking, here, let's help God carry out his plan for our salvation. They had no clue what was going on. So their motive was, let's kill him because we're jealous of him. So because their motive was wrong, they're still guilty. Look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Now that verse contains the two results of Holy Spirit preaching. Number one, it cuts to the heart. And number two, it leads to action. What shall we do? And do you know what will be the sign that America is experiencing revival? We will be cut to the heart by our sinful nation and my own personal sinfulness. And then number two, not just convicted, I'll actually do something about it. Back in 1734, in Northampton, Massachusetts, the first American revival happened. It's called the Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards would preach, often people say in a monotone, not, not moving his hands at all, but, quote, There was such breathing of distress among the hearers and weeping that Edwards was obliged to speak to the people and desire silence that he might be heard. One man said that when he was a young man, he heard Edwards describe the day of judgment, quote, I fully suppose that immediately at the close of the sermon, the judge would descend and the final separation take place. Now, some people criticize Jonathan Edwards for preaching Judgment Day, etc. Jonathan Edwards wrote, Some talk of it as an unreasonable thing to fright persons to heaven. But I think it is a reasonable thing to endeavor to fright persons away from hell. They stand upon its brink, and they are just ready to fall into it, and are senseless of their danger. Is it not a reasonable thing to fright a person out of a house on fire? Well, the, the Great Awakening spread throughout America, 1700s now, and then over in, America, in England was Jonathan Edwards, excuse me, Jonathan Wesley, and John Wesley preached the Methodist revival. Many people got saved in the late 1700s. But um, what, what happened when the Holy Spirit spoke, people got convicted of their sins, and not just convicted, and number two, they were moved to act. They started Christian schools. They started orphanages. Laws were changed. Mission groups were founded. In fact, there's a story that in the 1800s, a man was traveling through a small town in England looking for a drink. So he can't find the pub and he stops somebody on the street and says, where's the town pub? Well, we don't have a pub in our town. Well, what do you mean? Every, every English town has a pub. Why don't you have a pub in this town? Because 100 years ago, John Wesley passed through our town. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit preaches a sermon, it convicts people of their sin and it moves them to act. I've had uh, a lot of people in my office through the years for counseling, and 
often it boils down to two kinds of people. Man number one, well, Pastor Brock, I've got this problem, and it's a sin problem, I know, but, and I'll listen to them, and then I'll say, well, you know, you need to do this and this. And they might say, oh, okay, thank you. Uh, well, I'll think about that. <laughs> Man number two in the office, well, you know, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and they'll say, oh, you're right, and I'm going to. I want to be free of this thing. True Holy Spirit preaching con convicts of sin and moves people to action. That's what happened on Pentecost. Now, before we get to the next verse, let me ask you this question. What do you think are the two deepest needs of the human heart? I think they're in the next verse. Look at verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think the two deepest needs of the human being is the forgiveness of sins and, number two, the Holy Spirit. You know, are there people watching this program who've had a, committed adultery or you've been a thief? or you've been a bitter, angry person, or you had an abortion, or you know, you fill in the blank. I'm sure that's true. And some of you have been cut by the kerygma. You know that was wrong, but now it's time to be comforted by the kerygma. And the comfort is, because of Christ's death on the cross, your sins are forgiven. Uh, maybe it was about a year ago, I can't remember for sure, but. A woman in her 70s calls me up and, you know, Pastor Brock, uh, I knew this woman from my old church and I remember she said, years ago you preached that if you committed a sin and you just can't seem to get free from the belief that you're still damned, you need to talk to somebody about it. And she said, I've got a doctor telling me I've got only a few months to live and when I was a young woman I, I had an abortion. And I, I've asked God to forgive me. I believe he has forgiven me. But there are days I wonder. <laughs> so we had a wonderful talk on the phone. I was able to pronounce to her that through the blood of Christ, all your sins are forgiven. And she received not the cutting of the kerygma. She already had that. She received the comfort of the kerygma. The second great need of the human heart is the Holy Spirit. There's a story that many years ago there was a blind girl that would get on the train, go all the way to the blind school, uh, come back, get on the train again, go all the way back home, did it all by herself because there was a very loving conductor on the train, made sure the little girl got aboard, He'd go take the tickets, but then he'd come and he'd sit next to the little girl during the ride. He'd show her where to get off. This is your stop. And then pick her up again on the way back, etc., etc. That is a picture of the Holy Spirit. I'm blind. I, I would never believe in Christ on my own. I'd never repent of any sin. I'd never pray. I'd never tithe. I, I would never share my faith because I'm blind. So God sends us the Holy Spirit to guide us and conduct us through life. I think the two deepest needs of a human being are in the kerygma, the forgiveness of sins, and then God gives you the conductor to get you through life. Let's look at verse 39. Peter says, 
For the promise is for you, the Jews that he's preaching to, and your children, and for all who are far off, that would be the non-Jews, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And with many other words, Peter solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Here's the next lesson. Our job is to tell people they need to be saved. <laughs> Years ago, I was sightseeing in downtown Chicago. I'm walking down the sidewalk and lots of people in the sidewalk. And I start getting depressed. I, I just felt oppressed that anybody here even thinking about God? It was, I, I don't know why, I just got really, where's God in this city? <laughs> I turned the corner. Here's a man on the corner with a loud loudspeaker preaching the gospel. And, and I, I, I kind of went to the side, and I want to make sure he wasn't the kook. He was preaching the gospel, the death and resurrection of Christ. Be saved from this crooked and perverse generation. In fact, I still have the little tract or pamphlet, salvation pamphlet. It's all about Christ dying for your sins, rising from the dead. Believe in him and you will be saved. Your job is to tell your friends at work, your relatives that, you know, we all need Christ. We all need to be saved from this crooked and perverse generation. Now let's look at the end of the story, verse 41. So then, those who had received Peter's word were baptized, and there were added that day, Pentecost, about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people got baptized and became part of the church. Don't miss the incredibly, unbelievably good news of verse 41. Here it is. Even if you murder the Son of God, he stands ready to forgive you. Let me repeat that. Even if you have killed Jesus Christ like these people had, if you will come to him for forgiveness, God is ready to forgive you. So don't think that God can't forgive you for committing adultery against your spouse or that you're on your fourth, you know, just no sin is unforgivable, but you need to come to Christ. So, can I give you a little bit of homework? <laughs> your homework, should you choose to accept it, sometime in the next week, would you tell one other person about the kerygma. Don't talk to them about Adam and Eve and evolution and Noah. Don't get lost into, into all kinds of stuff. Would you this week, your homework is to tell one person that Christ died for their sins and rose from the dead. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna close this sermon telling a story that I know I've told on TV before, but it will make the point. I was, I think maybe my senior year in college my buddy Dean calls me, Tom, there are some atheists at the University of Minnesota, they're philosophy majors. They want some Christians to come present the Christian message so they can argue. And he said, I don't want to go alone, will you come with me? I said, okay. <laughs> so we drove across town and I remember sitting in my car and we prayed, Lord, help us stick to the gospel. Help us, you know, Christ died for our sins, rose from, help us not get lost in other things. We go up and we ring the doorbell. They bring us into their house. You could smell marijuana. My buddy, Dean, got up with, I don't know if he had a whiteboard or something, but he, he just drew a picture and he explained the gospel. We're sinners, Christ died for our sins, rose from the dead, believe in him and you'll be forgiven and go to heaven instead of hell. One of the atheists said, well, wait a minute. 
you expect me to believe that God got two species of every animal into Noah's Ark? That's not possible at all. And my, my buddy Dean said, well, you know, I believe God can do anything, but you don't have to believe in Noah and the Ark to be saved. You do have to believe save that Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. Another atheist, well, you know, Jonah spending three days in the belly of the, the fish, you know, the gastronomical juices would ate him up. There's no way that happened. I popped in. I said, I believe in, I believe God can do anything. You can keep him alive for three days. But that's not what saves you. What you need to believe to be saved is Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. And you know what? You could feel something was going on. It was getting to these guys. <laughs> I don't know what they ever did with it. We left. But again, would you do this? Pray about it. Today, between today and next week, would you find one person and tell them Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead? Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we ask Pastor Brock questions regarding the Bible. Pastor Brock, our first question today is, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is the same as the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is King James English. Holy Spirit is modern English. And the Holy Spirit, we only believe in one God, but in God are three eternal persons, God the Father who made us, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. He is eternal with the Father and the Son. And the big deal about becoming a Christian is you actually get God, the third person of the Trinity, to come to live within you. So that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> How do I receive the Holy Spirit? Well, on Pentecost, again, Acts chapter 2, mm -hmm. Peter said, Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So receiving the Spirit there, I think, is connected with baptism. Jesus said in the book of John, you need to be born of the water and the spirit uh, to be saved or to be born again and, and to see the kingdom of God is what he said. So I think baptism is very important. And then Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 12, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, which means the church. So I think the norm is you get baptized and the Holy Spirit comes in and, and is with you as, uh, forever. Yeah. Mm. Some teach if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Is that true? Um, no, it's not true. But let me, uh, uh, somebody wrote in a very similar question. Here okay. it is. If everyone receives the Holy Spirit when we accept Christ as our Savior, how and when do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of speaking in tongues and other spiritual gifts? Well, you know, let me throw a little bit of a wrench into the works. I think the norm is you get baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. But here's the wrench. In, in Acts chapter 8, uh, the apostles go down to Samaria and listen to this. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, these non-Jews, had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Well, they'd already been baptized. So what's mm -hmm. going on here? For he had not, he, the Spirit, had not yet fallen on any, any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They then began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, if you get the Holy Spirit in baptism, why did the apostles have to go down to Samaria, put their hands on them, forget them to get the Spirit? Mm -hmm. 
I remember one explanation is the apostles needed to know that non-Jews could be saved. So this was for the apostles' sake to see that non-Jews can receive the Holy Spirit. Because remember, all the first Christians were Jewish. Mm -hmm. So that may be, my point is, God can work outside the box. If you remember, when, when Peter is preaching to Cornelius, what is that, Acts chapter 10? The Holy Spirit falls on the, on the listeners, mm -hmm. and they start speaking in tongues. And then Peter says, well, who can prevent these people from getting water baptized? It's kind of like, well, this isn't the norm. You know? So I think the norm is you get baptized, you get the Spirit. Uh, God can work outside the box, but I think that's the norm. Okay. Yeah. I get nervous. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. One more point. Okay. This person asked, do you have to speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit? Yeah. No. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12 or 14, not all speak in tongues, do they? The answer is no. Some people get the gift of tongues. I believe in the gift of tongues. Some people get the gift of healing. Some people get the gift of generosity. Some people get the gift of interpretation. So, you know, there's, uh, there's all kinds of spiritual gifts. And yes, often in the book of Acts, when people get the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues. But it never says it always happens or always has to happen. Mm. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not have the gift of tongues, but you'll have some other gift. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. I get nervous thinking about talking to people about Jesus. Isn't it okay just to love people and witness in that way? Well, Mona, I've been a pastor a gazillion years now. Mm -hmm. I get nervous if I'm sitting next to someone on a plane thinking the Lord wants me to talk to them. We gotta just get over our nervousness and do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And I haven't been perfect at that. But supposedly St. Francis of Assisi back in the 1100s said this, and I, I don't think he did, but he, it's attributed to him. Preach the gospel, mm -hmm. and if necessary, use words. Mm -hmm. It's always necessary. I've never had anybody come up to me and say, Pastor Brock, you are so wonderful and loving. Tell me your secret. No, I, I have to tell them. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. You've got to use words. Yeah. And hopefully, more often, when you continue to do that, you get better at it. No, that's right. You that's know? true. Yeah. Any tips on how to talk with people about Jesus? You know, I, I, I tell you, I pray before the day starts, Lord, may I share you with someone today. I especially pray before I call and get a Uber taxi. Because mm -hmm. often I'll get a Somali Muslim taxi driver. Uh, last Uber drive, it was a very zealous new age woman who tried to uh, get me to believe in energy and, and her beliefs. And so I, I listened politely and I told her what I believe, you know. So, you know, I just think you, you pray for God to open the door mm -hmm. and then you go through it. Okay. Yeah. I see our time is just about okay. up. Okay. Well, good. Thanks for joining us today. May you have a blessed week and see you next week on The Pastor Study. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the pastor's study. 
P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.